Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. And this month, we're reading The New and Improved Romy Futch by Julia Elliott. This is our pre-read episode. Each month, we take a book and read it and discuss it, usually over two episodes. In our pre-read episode, uh, we kind of talk about book facts. Book facts. <laughs> uh, we talk about the sort of the facts about the book. We talk about um, some of the themes that might, will be coming up in the book, um, as well as discuss the author, the setting, that kind of thing. Stuff you might want to be thinking about before you read it, or maybe stuff that we think is interesting to give context to it. Exactly. But we do it without spoilers. So we'll be if you haven't read this book, you'll you're fine to listen to this episode, assuming you want to learn a little bit about it. Stuff we'd consider largely non-spoilery. Um, and then in a few weeks, we will post our post read episode where we talk about the book in depth. Um, this is a fun book. It's a book that I've read before. I read it a couple of years ago, pretty soon after it came out. Uh, Matt has not read it, so I recommended it to him. Yeah, I'm about halfway through it right now, and uh, it is indeed a fun book, liking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like fun is definitely the like first first adjective that comes to mind, but it's also really like, you know, smart and thoughtful book, so we'll be yeah. talking about that. Oh too. yeah, a lot of a lot of depth. A lot yep. of depth to this so far. So, um, you know, before we start, we usually give a couple of like content warnings. I don't think these are pertinent so much to this episode probably so much as the book itself yeah if you want to read this book if you're going to sort of follow along with us and read it you may want to consider this when you're considering whether or not to do that right so um there's a lot of sort of like body horror and medical stuff that happens in the book a decent chunk of it takes place at a medical facility um there's also some hunting and taxidermy and uh, other various kind of like animal harm stuff that happens uh, the N-word is used with hard R a couple of times. Um, so the book is set in the South and there are a couple the rural of like South. the rural South and there are a couple of like shitty racist characters. Um, there's also lots of drug use, lots and lots of drug use, <laughs> lots of drug use, lots of sex um, and kind of, you know, there's a lot of like people who are in down and out situations and there's you know the way i put it to matt earlier was it's a sim- sympathetic portrayals of unsympathetic people <laughs> um yeah. so you might not like some of the stuff people are doing right and so you know we bring this stuff up mostly as like some people care about this and it's you know it's a lot easier to go in reading it when you like know what's coming up mm-hmm. um definitely <clears throat> You know, I would say that the uh, the the general so the new improved Romy Futch was written by Julia Elliott. Uh, Elliott is a English and women's and gender studies professor at the University of South Carolina, where she lives with her daughter and husband. Um, and this book is very much about like the rural South that she lives in now. Um, the way I put it earlier is it's a flowers for Algernon meets Faulkner meets Gamma World meets Moby Dick. So there's like a yeah, whole so lot going on here. Why don't why don't you unpack that a little for us, Adrian? I I from what I've read so far, that sounds like a wonderful description of this book. So why don't you kind of go through those things and say why you think that in a general sense, not yeah. So the the you know the the first thing and this is on the like back of the book is the general synopsis is it's like this guy who's kind of a schlub and a taxidermist in the rural south um gets brain implants that make him smarter and he gets a bunch of kind of like brain uploads um so that's the sort of flowers for algernon part um 
it has very much the Southern Gothic taste to it and kind of like weird fictiony almost taste like the you know it's set in like a near future that's really similar to ours but just like a little bit off and a little bit like worse <laughs> yeah. um, and i think especially a little bit worse than like the 20 like 14 2015 it was written in <laughs> yeah and at least so far i mean uh, some of the faulkner connection is also in this sort of non-traditional narrative structure a lot of dreamy or strange you know, journeys through people's subconscious and people's, then the connections between people's conscious and subconscious with a particularly mm-hmm. rural South bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is a linear narrative. So it's not like a house of leaves or infinite jest kind of thing, but there is definitely some like, it's not a straightforward plot necessarily. And there's a lot not, of jumping. There's a, there's a lot of flashbacks, a lot of kind of mm-hmm, moving mm-hmm. around like in that way. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, experimental or something like that, but it's it's not it's also not um, entirely straightforward, I would say. Yeah. And so it's set in this kind of near future beset by global warming. There's a lot of kind of like genetic engineering gone wrong. And I'd say that, like, you know, this phrase soft apocalypse comes to mind there's a lot of sort of just general breakdown of society and like everything's a little bit shitty for everyone who isn't like rich and well-to-do wow that's so different from the real world today yeah it bears nothing in common with life in america (laughs) this is why we turn to science fiction for portrayals of totally unrealistic future society imaginative worlds we could never dream of on our own (laughs) i wonder how annoyed people are with us by this point (laughs) um no the book is like super topical and on point um i'll talk about it a little bit more in a bit um after i talk about julia elliott herself so um yeah i think that's kind of like it for book facts book facts you know, we picked it because it's a super fun and interesting novel. So I hope I hope people will read it. Like it's a it's a book that um, I mean I've talked about this a lot in the past on the uh, on the podcast. I'm from rural Alaska. I'm from kind of like a you know Alaska obviously isn't the South. It's cold instead of warm. But otherwise, there's a lot like in common between rural parts of America. And so I had a, a high school friend of mine recommend this book to me. Uh, shout out to Nate because he like listens to this podcast um, and he recommended it to me a few years ago and I read it and like, you know, we were both like, oh, this is Homer. This is this is home. We get it. You know, I mean, like Romy Futch could be my dad or something. Um, and so it's it's a really cool. Like non well, I wouldn't say non-judgmental, but like it's a really interesting look at I think like kind of a slice slice of life that isn't often represented in American fiction, especially modern American fiction. Um, but is also somewhat like critical of its characters and like the character arcs are somewhat like them becoming better people in a, in an interesting way. So um like I said I'll talk about some of that more in the in a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, one, one of the, so I didn't know about it before. I'm going along with Adrian's recommendation here. Cause Adrian, uh, is good at recommending things to me and to <laughs> other people. Um, so far I can say, I think, you know, it's definitely really, it's definitely really, uh, on point for a lot of sort of things that are prominent issues that are prominent in our culture right now, but it's also not only that, I mean, this is a book that 
in some sense seems to straddle it, it, it's like it's got uh, a very literary bent it also touches on it's connected in some way to like these great grand old american literary traditions and also these american sci-fi traditions i mean you think a lot about philip mm-hmm. k dick you think a lot about um you know sort of weird gothic american fiction the granddaddy of, of all of that hp lovecraft you think a lot about some of these you know classics of american fiction it's connected to all all of those different things also so it's sort mm-hmm. of in in dialogue with a lot of interesting stuff yeah and speaking of this genre kind of melding there's actually a review of this book in the new york times that i thought was uh made a really good point which is you know so this this book was published by tin house books which is a literary publisher they mostly publish kind of like weird literary fiction they're based out of portland oregon they have a magazine that features short stories nonfiction, poetry and book reviews but um you know they're not a science fiction publisher they don't generally like publish science fiction fantasy that said this is like definitely science fiction and it like it straddles the world of literary fiction and science fiction and southern gothic and fantasy and weird fiction very well and it does so in a way uh, this is the point that the new york times book review made was um it does so in a way that like clearly the author has read and is like well acquainted with all of these different things it's not a literary author sort of like being like oh i'll throw a spaceship in and make it science fictional or something like that um it's a very good science fiction novel it's also a very good like feminist literary novel it's also a very good like southern gothic novel (laughs) yeah that's does each of these things really really well it avoids the problem that's common with books where you have if if you have a literary some an author who's from who's sort of most involved in and familiar with the tropes of one genre wanting to branch out and maybe not not being not having completely done his or her homework on that other genre that they want to branch out into um, right. This does not have those issues that I've seen so far. It's it's um, it's very effective at connecting to all of these different things. Right. I mean, I the way I like to think of genre is that genre, it, it, like one definition of science fiction, for instance, or any genre, is it's a bunch of it's a group of authors who are like talking to each other through their fiction. They've read each other's fiction. They have like similar ideas. They are like discussing each other's ideas. And there's a conversation that's happening inside of that genre through the fiction. And um, I think oftentimes what kind of happens is that, you know, someone who's maybe a science fiction author and trying to write literary fiction or vice versa, they're not really well acquainted with that conversation. Right. That's often what it feels like to me. It's like a literary fiction author writing science fiction. Like are they're saying the same thing other people have said and maybe even said better, right? And they're not they don't even know who it is that they're talking to. Um and it this book doesn't have that feeling at all for me. And in fact, it has like it doesn't have that feeling in any of the different genres. It feels like someone who's actually like really good at talking to a lot of different kinds of people and having a lot of conversations at one time, which is uh it's fun. It's fun and exciting. It's you know, it's it's a it's a juggling act that she performs very well. I think it's interesting to think about how american it feels in a lot of ways um especially Especially coming off of binti uh what do you mean 
Well, I mean, like coming off of a book that is like very clearly like African and its roots and its storytelling structure and like what it's trying to do. It's trying very hard, mm-hmm. like not to be American. And I, and I, you know, Nanetti has spoken about that. Like she's trying to write something that's not American. And like this is something that's like deeply <laughs> American. Yeah, I, I think this book is uh, it, it sort of seems to be. You know, there's a lot of non-American people who've written stories that are, you know, weird fiction or that are science fiction that in, it takes place in rural areas or it has some gothic elements or that, you know, there, you can mm-hmm. go down the list of themes and, and tropes in this book. And, and a lot of people who are not American have written about them very well. But um, but this book seems like it's particularly interested in bringing together a lot of strands of the American versions of these things and being a part of all of these different American versions of these conversations. I, I, you know, I think of like all the things you said, but also, you know, there's gonzo, gonzo journalism element, you know, there's Mm -hmm. the, there's Mm -hmm. the, the kind of wilderness, American wilderness literature element. Um, you know, we could, there's so many pieces of it. There's so many different American conversations happening at the same time. And I guess maybe one of the reasons why I think of um, it is being American is that it, it it's connected to a bunch of different conversations. It, like the network of the things this book is interested in is a very American network of things. It's not just it's not just rural gothic. It's also drugs and new society and the South and the nature of the South and uh, weirdness in a particularly weirdness rural weirdness in a in a in a country that maybe doesn't have doesn't doesn't have a history that's as old as europe so it's a different slightly different kind of rural weirdness than you get in europe you know yeah Um, definitely definitely so i wrote this essay a couple of years ago uh where i wrote i wrote about uh this uh, this and other books the essay was called uh, in clickbaity fashion, six science fiction novels, and then some to read in the age of Trump. <laughs> and I wrote it soon after Trump's election. Um, and, you know, this novel was like very much like top of mind for me for like some of these reasons. Like it's very much an American novel that is, I think, dealing with these things that um, I'll, I'll link to the essay and uh, I won't read the whole thing right now. It's it's like number five on the list is the new and improved Romy Futch. So if folks want to kind of like hear some of my thinking. They can they can go there and read that. Um, it's on medium.com. But, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me is that there, you know, after the election, there was this whole like genre of journalism that was like, you know, journalists going to rural areas and asking people why they voted for Trump (laughs) and like, you know, taking them very literally and, you know, maybe not very seriously. (laughs) I know, but (laughs) so, um. Whereas I think this book does a good job of like the opposite. I think it does a very good job of like taking this kind of like, you know, like particularly like white rural people and all the like stuff that comes with that and taking that seriously, but also like not buying into the stories they tell themselves about themselves necessarily. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to read just like a portion of what I wrote. Um, the new and improved Romy Futch is an a flowers for Algernon story set in the 21st century rural South where Elliot herself lives. Romy Futch is what an empathetic but critical work on the white working class can look like. 
Elliot does not make fun of, look down on, or despise her white working class characters. At the same time, she presents their contradictions and takes their actions seriously. The toxic masculinity, the casual racism, the drug and alcohol dependencies, the desire for but lack of financial independence. The mind enhancements make a great metaphor for education as a gateway between the white working class and the coastal elites and other social classes. And Romy's obsession over hunting a genetically modified boar become a metaphor for trying to assert control over a life dictated by larger unhuman systems by attacking the negative local effects of those systems. And to me, that's, you know, that's, that's what this like book does really well is it, it like, you know, we talk about how science fiction can literalize things. And this book literalizes like a lot about rural life and rural places, especially kind of in modern America cool you you uh it's really useful to me to hear you talk about some of this stuff because this is also kind of something that i would not be able to tell from my perspective it's a good book and it certainly is doing a lot of interesting things but i don't have a way to judge really um from Mm -hmm. my own life or my own experience whether i think this is a really honest and true depiction of at least some of the emotional reality if not the i mean you know it's 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 not it's not always some of the stuff that happens in the book is not completely realistic, but like it's it's definitely a <laughs> yeah, I mean. it's definitely it's definitely a it's definitely a, a, a it has a lot of verisimilitude in the way that it depicts people and their in their lived reality. And it's right. it's really useful for me to be able to talk to you about it and hear that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That verisimilitude that you're getting through the book um, has purchase on on me, a person with personal experience with this. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I should also make it clear that, like, you know, while I might have grown up in, like, rural Alaska, I also haven't lived there for 12 years, 13 years, something like that. You know, I've spent more than half my or more than a third of my life in on, like, the East Coast as a coastal elite. So <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to, like, speak for all people. And I'm sure there are folks in that situation who, like, don't feel that way. But that I mean, that said, like, I, I think that it's a you could speak for yourself, though. Yeah. And speaking for myself, it was definitely a book that that made me go like, Oh, that's like someone gets it, (laughs) you know, like, like that sounds of like, Oh, someone gets it Mm -hmm. and is, you know, willing to like have fun with it too. Um, I mean that, Mm -hmm. that's something that I like, this book is just so fucking fun. Like I, it's, it's so weird and like off, off like the, the wall kind of like, uh, I mean, you've, you've mentioned some of the pieces that you've gotten to, and I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of the book, but just like, Man, some of the stuff that happens is so weird and out there in this way that just like makes my heart warm. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> like, I mean, the fact that like Romy Futch, so Romy Futch is actually like the main character's name is is, is maybe we should we should say it's like, Romy is short for Roman. Um, but like, you know, he, he we meet him and he's the sort of like, well, uh, schlubby. Are, do, we, do we really want to like talk about what happens in the book or do we want to kind of just. I'm going to be really brief and overview. I mean, like the first couple of pages is we like meet him and he's Uh this like schlubby taxidermist and just like just the just the fact that he's a taxidermist and like Mm, that his taxidermy work like comes up a whole bunch and like the ways that changes as he changes is just like 
I, I, I love it. And like, I hope people kind of like pay attention to that. It'll be hard not to. It's like a big point in the book. Yeah, it's great. It's a great way to find like, this is a great example also, just without knowing anything about what happened specifically in the book, knowing that taxidermy is a part of the book is a, a great way to kind of understand the way in which the book is able to combine weird and real and uh, kind of technical language and a kind of almost science fictional look at technical language. Combining all these things together, I mean, taxidermy is a real thing. <laughs> the more you think about it, the weirder that gets. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's bizarre, um, and then to, to right. just sort of use well, that, especially as a, given like what taxidermy is, where it yeah. is, it's like you know, I I mean, the, there's a description in the book of it early on as like taking scraps of an animal and like as well as like other you know structural things like the like inside of a taxidermied squirrel is not the squirrel's skeleton <laughs> it's yeah. plastic baubles and glue and it's shit to make it look like a squirrel even though like is it a squirrel anymore that's yeah. a good question maybe this is a you know gesture toward a definition of what weird fiction is it's kind of finding mm-hmm. elements of the real world and then combining it with narratives about those elements that are associated with one genre or another that highlight how strange life can be not and not strange in a like haha I mean, sometimes it's funny but like very often it's strange in a almost mind bendy going on a drug trip kind of strange way yeah. like changing the nature of your perception itself right the the term refactored perception comes to mind for me which is this kind of like blogosphere term that the, like this piece of the blogosphere that i read but like this idea of like you know like being able to have like a different point of view on something than you like than you were able to before i think i think the like weird elements in books like this can can be really good at that what other books would you like consider a part of like weird fiction we've like we've brought up weird yeah, fiction a few so other times let's, on the let's, podcast it's maybe worth digging into it a little bit yeah totally i mean so i think um traditionally i think that weird fiction is associated with different other genres depending on what we're talking about it's often associated with horror Mm -hmm. um hp lovecraft and like even people who predate hp lovecraft like lord dunsany um or poe or poe yeah are 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 classic examples of kind of the origins of this genre Mm -hmm. but then you know at some point it also becomes involved with drugs and psychedelics and changing perception um you know, Aldous Huxley is somebody who is not considered to be a weird fiction author, but like some of his nonfiction, um, I uh, I remember he wrote a uh, a long nonfiction piece uh, about his experiments with mescaline in the fifties, yeah, for example. The Doors of Perception. There you go. Yeah, um, that's a very that's the kind of thing that's very influential for people like Clark Ashton, Ashton Smith or these other weird fiction authors of the of the fifties. You know, uh, it sort of started to morph into this thing where you know there's different threads of it you know on the one hand you've got people talking about um still talking about horror and cosmic horror and the you know if you could only see just below the surface of the world as you see it you'd see these like horrible things monsters terrible ideas other people's thoughts and so on but then there's also you know going in other directions you know you can see just kind of stuff that expands your mind you know as 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 the mm-hmm. 50s bleed into the 60s you get this more psychedelic direction for weird fiction and you get you know stuff where um 
people like J.G. Ballard, I right. often think of associated with this, or uh, uh, Robert Sheckley is another one. Yeah, and then and some of that stuff is is you know you start to get dystopian futures. Somebody who I mm-hmm. think of when I think of weird fiction of that era is Anna Kavan, um, who was a woman who was a heroin addict for much of her life. And that, you know, and she wrote a lot about um, some themes that are similar to the themes of this book, the nature of masculinity and femininity and what it means to uh, like the fragility of our perception of the world as it is and how that can be warped by by the massive structures that interact around us. She has mm-hmm. this amazing metaphor in her in her novel Ice, where there's these walls of ice that are slowly closing in on everything, everywhere. Actually, not so slowly. Like sometimes they're very fast. <laughs> and it's just like, what a great metaphor, in my mind at least, for among other things, power structures just destroying yeah. you. I mean, she was a she was a by by the accounts that I've read of her life, she was a person who had a really hard time being alive and hence you know in some parts the in some ways the the heroin addiction and so that feeling of just being at the mercy of these vast forces you know is one but then there's another tradition also starting around this time of you know gonzo journalism and getting into like all the you know um hundreds thompson tom wolf's of the world you know electric yeah. kool-aid acid test and the you know the um Fear and and loathing loathing books. books. Exactly. You know, fear and loathing on the campaign trail in particular, not just Mm -hmm. fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Fear and loathing on the campaign trail is something I think of in relation to this book. Definitely. I actually haven't read that. I know a little bit about it. And that's, you know, that's Hunter S. Thompson, like following around like Richard Nixon's like campaign to become president in 1972. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's wild. It's, it's like, it combines, um, like this great American, narrative about society and the nature of society at the ground level with mm-hmm. with these like larger themes of perception and and trying to like you know there's some of so like when i think about um there's a whole other element that Hunter S. Thompson brings up for me and like all these people do in some other sense uh the element of sort of drugs and personal enhancements uh in American fiction and science fiction. And when I think about that stuff, you know, there's different strands of, of, of stories about drugs. There's a lot of different ways people have approached drugs, um, in sci-fi. I mentioned Philip K. Dick earlier. He's a, he's a huge one, you know, and in his books, he deals with drugs in different ways. Um, in some of his books, drugs are foregrounded, like altering your perception or trying to enhance yourself in some way is, is a part of the main narrative. And in others of his, of his books, it's just, part of the world the characters are living in it's not the main part of the story it's just something that's happening in the background by the way you know i pop three pills before breakfast you know and that's hunter s thompson too um yeah and that's very much this book as well as is sort of like romy futch and his friends and everyone in the south are just sort of like a wash in a sea of drugs whether that's alcohol and cigarettes or xanax or prescription drugs or you know like heroin and weed and cocaine and you know and whatever designer drugs exist in that future yeah and another another book that um i think of is is a whole other uh a whole other, well, it's not a whole other strand, but it's another another it's another example of weird fiction, but it's not American. Um, mm-hmm. I thought of The House on the Strand by Daphne du Maurier, uh, who's a, an, uh, a British author from Cornwall, um, who is most famous for writing Rebecca and the short story The Birds that became the Hitchcock movie, The Birds. Oh, cool. Um, 
but her her book, The House in the Strand, is a, a lesser known book of hers, which is about a guy who goes to stay in this house owned by a friend of his who's a scientist um, who makes this crazy drug that if you take it, you go on a trip back in time. And <laughs> and uh, so great. It's so great. And it, it's so great. And it's it's like it's it's sort of rural gothic British style because you know, while this guy's at this house staying there being a guinea pig using this guy's drug uh, and becoming addicted to it. Um, he's also dealing with this like crumbling marriage and his like weird personal mm-hmm. relationships. And so there's like other ways that are not American of dealing with some of these themes as well. Um, right. That's funny. Cause that also sounds very like JG Ballard in a lot of ways yeah. and a, a lot of his, you know, a lot of his stories, you know, and I know we talked about a little bit about his kind of like racism in some of the last episodes, but also like his stories do a very good job of kind of talking about like modern alienation and modern mm. consumerism and yeah. like this feeling of, you know, being in the world and being apart from the world at the same time. And I, I brought up Robert Sheckley and I, I think he's lesser known than JG Ballard, but he's another like science fiction short story author who wrote a lot about the same kind of things. Oh, cool. So like what, for example, he had a certain genre of story, which I, I particularly like, which would be um, like humans go to another planet and make first contact and just like are unable to understand the social structures of the like creatures there. Um often in like both hilarious and like disastrous ways for just everyone involved. <laughs> and there are also a couple of those short stories actually written from the point of view of the aliens. So like what the aliens are doing is presented as just normal. And then these like humans come to town and try to like teach them what normal is to the humans. They're like, that's just fucked up. What do, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean you have gender? What do you mean that like people work together instead of like fighting to the death over like every small thing, like, you know, stuff like that. That's really enjoyable for me um, that's great i love it yeah i think another you know the the other two kind of authors i would mention when talking about weird fiction or sort of like modern authors um one would be laird baron who i think is more in the horror hp lovecraft kind of like style of weird fiction um in particular his um like he as a person was an was one of the um character concepts in in the in the first season of True Detective for Matthew McConaughey's character um and he his short fiction so he's from Alaska too um and he writes a lot of like short fiction set in either the American West or like a, the kind of like rural places in America um that's very much about like alienation and very much uses like horror as this kind of weirding element. Um, and I think someone else to mention who is not in the horror side of weird fiction, but more like the kind of like fantasy outside and, and, and is British is China Mieville. Mm. Um, and particularly his short, his short stories often use these kind of like, like fantasy or religious or or just like or even just like physical like things to kind of like weird a situation um his short story collection three moments of an explosion is just like perfect (laughs) one of the best short story collections (laughs) i've ever read (laughs) yeah i mean i think one of the things that is a is a is a through line through a lot of these people is that the idea of a lot of these people and their stories and these different takes on this genre is the idea of creating a sense creating a feeling of difference where maybe there wasn't one before or highlighting a feeling of difference to really pull it out 
and foreground it where you may already have felt it only a little. So, mm. you know, there's a way, I don't know if I should get really like lit theory nerd. No, do but, it. Um, it's a fucking literary <laughs> theory podcast. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, very famously, there's a, an idea that one of the things, the, there's a, a Russian literary theorist named Viktor Shlovsky from the 1920s. Um, who wrote that uh, about the idea of um, a defamiliarization, um, which is also translated as estrangement, which is just a process that can be undertaken by an author, um, and isn't always, but is a is and and so thinking about this as a as a, a function that's a, available for authors, you know, is one way to think about what weird fiction does. You take a thing and you make it less familiar to people, mm-hmm. um, or you make it seem uh less familiar and it's and it creates a lot of interesting emotions that people can play with in different ways right i mean one way i'd think about that is take a thing and make people look at it for the first time again or take a thing and make people look at it from the point of view of something someone who is not familiar with that thing and i think it's you know it's hard and it's a thing that like you have to be both a good writer and like a good thinker to be able to do yeah and that's actually interesting because one of the things that Shlovsky says about defamiliarization is that it by making things less familiar, it makes them more it makes that art more difficult or it can make mm-hmm. that art more difficult, which is a, a really interesting. It's sort of something that I, I think in in modern weird fiction, we we don't really think of it that way at all. Um, I as far as a, somebody who, who's doing this, um, you know. In America today, you know, in addition to Romy Fudge, I think about Jeff Vandermeer, um, oh, totally, and and the the Reach trilogy, you know, and that's you know I don't think of those books as being, in some sense, difficult, but maybe they are because they are doing something different. They're making things. They're they're trying to be different, um, right. and, and the more different something is, the maybe the more work you have to put in to understand what it's doing. Well, and I, you know. In our in one of our episodes, I talked about the the movie, the recent movie adaptation of Annihilation, the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy, and how that had been sort of like, you know, once Alex Garland made it, like the the higher ups at Universal were like, what do we or Paramount? Sorry, I think we were like, what do we do with this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like this is the like one of the weirdest movies we've ever gotten. Like, how do we how do we market? Like, what do we do with this? And I think that you know, it it, it is harder to certain degrees to feel like it, it's not easy to feel alienated from the like content you're consuming and to feel mm. like alienated from the rest of the world because you're like reading something or because you're watching something. Like that's that's hard. Like you have to like kind of choose to go into that and not everyone wants to i will say though i think it's actually kind of one of the testaments to how good of a writer julia elliott is is that she manages to defamiliarize and refamiliarize like at the same time very frequently she's she it's not even straddling a line so much as almost like like tuvin throat singing like doing like harmonizing with herself at the same time where she where it feels like, like she's that. you know <laughs> Good. I like I, I'm going off the cuff here uh, <laughs> but like it does very much feel like reading this book that she is like defamiliarizing but also then like recontextualizing the thing that she just defamiliarized and, and so it's it's very much doing this thing that weird fiction does but it's doing so in a way that is like 
much more fun and enjoyable and yeah. and and e- not necessarily easy to read like that that sounds like almost like oh it's trite it, but but it is it's kind of like you know I, mean, I keep saying like this novel is so gonzo and so fun and just like some of the situations in it are like sad and hilarious and ridiculous. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's very, um, I keep saying fun and I wish I had a better word for it, but that, you know, that is just like, no, it is though. I, I know what you mean. I mean, we, you know, there's, there's a weird fiction is only one of the things that this book is. It's other stuff too. I mean, if you think of it as, um, gonzo science fiction involving a lot of drugs, then that suggests a lot of other points of reference that we could talk about too. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a, a huge amount of science fiction that is about, mind enhancing or mind altering which is a a major theme of this book and like you said uh you know in this book and in many other books this that is that is a way for science fiction or any literature to talk about society that is a way to talk like one of the things that that does is give us a way to talk to make literal some social commentary that we want to make you know a, a really famous example of that is brave new world soma in brave new world is is a you know maybe one of the classic points of reference more recent and more closer to our time you know there's um i think about spice in the dune series um and of course all of the many drugs in philip k dick ubic for example um but like you know the the one huge thing that drugs do they do a lot of things in these books or mind enhancements one huge thing that they do is they allow the author a way to make stuff literal a, a way to talk about um, a way to almost say like, there's a thing in society, I don't have a word for it, but I'm going to make up a word for it and say that that thing is a drug, you know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like a, almost a, a mathematical operation, uh, an equivalence relation, you know, where you create a new object and you say that, that the thing that we're going to talk about is this new object, but it's equivalent to this other thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that drugs do, which is sort of not maybe as directly related to this book, at least so far, but is a thing that, you know, I think about a lot when I read about mind enhancement in fiction. I naturally think about um, the sort of all the stories that relate to trying to create the perfect person, the ubermensch or the ultimate human. Um, Expanding consciousness, not just as a way of talking about you know, not just as a way of changing society or being controlled by a totalitarian government or um, something like that, but also as a way of trying to achieve a kind of perfection. This is a, a really interesting kind of story because, well, for me at least, I think of it as a relatively new kind of story. Um, I don't know that this type of story has, I mean, you know, there are, there's fantasy versions of this type of story that go all the way back, you know, the, um, uh, ambrosia of the gods is a substance that gods consume that allows them to be immortal. That that goes all the way back, you know, stories of that nature. And in fact, the origin of the word soma, you know, is is a magical substance, not magical, a a a substance of great religious power that is consumed in Vedic ritual. Um, but the the sort of science fiction version of this is. Um, we can develop technology, specific, actionable, technical, describable technologies that allow us to make ourselves perfect versions of ourselves. Well, you um, said that that's like not a part of the novel, but I think that, you know, and I don't think this is giving too much away. It's in some of the like first chapters is like, that's why Romy like wants to 
do this thing and get these brain enhancements in the first place. Like maybe that's not what's yeah. being sold, but it's like what he thinks is going to happen to himself. What or at least buying. what he like hopes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, it's what he's buying by getting paid to buy it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, the act so of I, buying is uh, is not a uh, disinterested homo economic economicus's act. It's the act of no. a person in a network of capital re- capitalist <laughs> relations. So uh, I guess how intentional is he really? Is a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think that's. Um, I don't know if you want to keep going on some of that. I also, cause I also wanted to talk a little bit, well, I guess maybe just like really quickly in the weird fiction stuff is sort of this like near future soft apocalypse mm. kind of thing that the books are doing. And, you know, I I don't know, maybe this is just even better saved for the like post read. I think there's a lot that I'll want to get into with it, but I think I just like to say it's worth paying attention while reading this book to yeah. the ways in which like, you know, like the future is shitty. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) because, you know, I think a lot of science fiction is about the ways the future is cool and even a lot of dystopian science fiction. I mean, like take take cyberpunk or the neuromancer or, you know, like whatever book, which are, you know, supposedly dystopian on the packaging but the way people talk about them and think about them is like it's so cool you know it's it's cool even if it's bad whereas i think there's a lot of stuff in romy futch that is not cool it's shitty (laughs) and Mm. i use that particular Mm. word instead of bad it's not necessarily dystopian it's just like eh kind of gross and i think that there's um that to me really like speaks to me and speaks to like, you know, kind of like America in 2018 in particular. Yeah. I mean, there's so many dystopias that have been claimed by especially counter people that are interested in, in um, counterculture as, mm-hmm. as, you know, as stories or sets of tropes that they can use to define themselves against the majority that like doesn't want that dystopia. You know, the, there's a way in which, you know, a, a, some anarchists have claimed like eco dystopia tropes as positive, aspirational tropes that they want to deploy for their to feel a connection with. Um, or you know, think about the way that um, uh, weird horror and death metal are are related. You know, there some of this stuff is mm. you know was not intended to be attractive to people, but becomes attractive to people anyway, for exactly some of the reasons that it was originally described. Like when you make something right. weird and different, you know, some people like weird and different. And so there's there's a process that happens there that might, that you get some right. weird well, results, second, and third I think order that results. That's, that's part of what I mean here is that like, you know, again i think this is one of the places where like the book sort of straddles this line of like being both gonzo and interesting but also being shitty instead of being like oh this is this is bad but like secretly cool you know it's like nothing secretly cool it's like up front about the ways in which hey it's kind of cool but also like mostly shitty yeah and i think maybe being a little bit more up front and about that 
that thing. I mean, you know, like hunting is a part of the book and, and like it, it's, you know, that I think that's one place where it tends to be, you know, like, Hey, hunting as an activity is kind of like cool and fiddly and there's a lot of gear and there's a lot of knowledge and this kind of thing, but it's also, it sucks. You're like <laughs> sitting around in swamps for days, not finding anything, you know, it's boring and shitty for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I it's actually this discussion reminded me of the fact that the book I mentioned earlier, The House in the Strand by Daphne du Maurier, is really funny to me. Um, so Daphne du Maurier wrote it in um, in the fifties or sixties, but she was born in the nineteen aughts. So when she mm-hmm. wrote it, she was, I believe, already a grandmother. Mm. And so she wrote a book about drugs in like about like <laughs> counterculture. No, she wrote it in the sixties. I remember because it was like it was written right in like 1967, like right before the summer of love. And here's this English grandmother, a (laughs) semi-recluse living in this like mansion in Cornwall, writing about like drugs that send you back in time. And like, (laughs) she clearly meant it in a way that was somewhat different from the way that people have taken it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Not entirely, not entirely, but like, it's another example of the sort of, (laughs) the the way that some of these get reappropriated. Cool. All right. So I wanted to track and just kind of like before wrapping up the episode, talk a little bit about masculinity in science fiction and the masculinity inherent in this book. Because like like I mentioned earlier, Julia Elliott is a gender study professor. And I think that this book is one that's very much about masculinity. Like if like if I could choose one thing that this book is about, it's masculinity. Strong agree. And I think that's cool because like, you know, uh, like obviously science fiction is a very like masculine genre and historically especially has been a very masculine genre. That is more controversial than you may think. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, uh, let me put it this way. I don't think this will be controversial. Silver Age and Golden Age science fiction is mostly by men and about men. Yeah. yeah, And about men being manly men. It's about like man being colonial manly men. Um, You you know, especially you think of, you know, like Heinlein and the like, you know, stories, the Lensman stories that predated him. Um, Even original Star Trek. Right. Original Star Trek. Although there you get some subversion of that because it's, you know, by the by the time that's being made, it's the 60s and the new wave is happening. Yeah. But still, I mean, you know, think about think about Captain Kirk. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, Captain Kirk is very much a paradigm of manliness. I mean, he, you know, he fights he fights a green alien lizard and then like builds a gun. (laughs) Well, yeah. And then like he's wandering around the galaxy just like having sex with like various women. (laughs) It's like that's that's it's such a it's such an old school version of what it means to be a, a masculine man. It is. It is. But it's also interesting. I mean, yeah, I don't want to defend Star Trek or talk about Star Trek too much. But I, I think that, you know, like, obviously, a lot of science fiction is like by men for men about yeah. men. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it was really in the 60s with kind of the new wave of science fiction when you start seeing names like Le Guin and Octavia Butler, who we've talked about, and Rogers Lasney and and Samuel Delaney and like these other, you know, authors, both men and women 
writing both like explicitly feminist science fiction as well as just science fiction that's like taking a step back from what science fiction had been and changing it and being about something like a little bit different. I I think that, you know, this is this is a book that huh, I don't have a perfect segue here, but <laughs> like this is a book that in certain ways follows in that tradition and in yeah. other ways I think yeah. comes at masculinity and science fiction less from a science fictional perspective and more from like a literary fiction perspective and a gender studies perspective. And I think that it's, you know, it's good. Like just in terms of like fiction about masculinity, it's like, it's up there with anything else I've ever read. I so agree with that. Obviously I've only read about half of it at this point, but it's, it does such a good job of making you think about stuff without telling you to think about that stuff. Yeah. It's so, so strong at that, that move. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's even more subtle than a lot of other books about masculinity in a sci-fi context, because it doesn't, it, 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 pulls this sort of like many layered bait and switch with some of this stuff because it seems Mm -hmm. like on the it seems like you know it's about this guy and he's gonna do it seems like it's gonna be like a gonzo weird book more than that or it's gonna be a gonzo weird book about drugs and changing your perception and becoming a better person or something and it Mm -hmm. is or it's gonna be straight up flowers for algernon like oh he gets smart and then changes and that's kind of it and it's like no it's a lot more complicated than yeah it's like actually behind all that stuff it's like, well, what does it mean to become a better man? Mm-hmm. You know, like what, mm-hmm. not just, not, it's like, okay, you have this opportunity to become a better person. You're going to take all these things, but like, you know, what is it, what does that even mean? What, what would it mean to become a better man? Say you had the ability to become a better person and you could just do that. So, like hypothetically, you know, let's posit a drug, let's posit a, 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 an item or a, a machine you know, mm-hmm. what sure. are you going to tell the machine to do? You're the <laughs> programmer now of your own future. You know, what, is, what is that going to look like? Like, and then, and then it's sort of, as soon as you ask that question, it's like immediately obvious that actually, you know, these are, these are metaphors and quote unquote, hypothetically positing that you have the ability to change your own future. It's like, oh, well, actually you do, you know, we, we, <laughs> we can make decisions about our future. We can decide what kind of, you know, men we want to be. Um. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, and I think that, you know, and this is getting into like, don't want to talk too much about the specifics, but, you know, Romy's relationship to other women and the way or not other women to women um, and the way that, you know, like he put so much importance on some of him, like his ex-wife and his relationship with his ex-wife and how like she made him a better man. Right. And like this sort of like thing of like, Oh, like these, you know, men need to have like a woman in their life to like take care of them kind of thing is really, I think is strongly interrogated by this. And that's, you know, it's almost like this way that like men, especially in America, I think, and then probably in a lot of places around the world I've experienced with America, like expect, that they do have that machine and it's their wife who's going to cook for them and clean up for them. And, you know, <laughs> Oh man. Oh. So I, you know, I think, I think that like this, this is a book that like takes that and actually like grapples with, with oh, that, yeah. that idea. 
Yeah, throat lock. Um, <laughs> so what are some other works that are interested in these issues or maybe some works that, you know, formed the original new wave in the 60s that, or even the 50s? Yeah, I think that um, in particular, the one that comes to mind for me is the word for world is forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, which is one of her Hainish cycle. I guess it's a novella, not a novel, but it's like a standalone book, whatever. Um, and that's a story with, um, I mean, there's so much, it's such a sh- like short, powerful, dense story. There's so much things going on, but one of the interesting pieces of it is that the like main character of the story is one of these like hyper masculine Heinlein protagonist types. And I mean, like, I think very specifically was written to be like a retort to Heinlein and a lot of his stories. Um, and, you know, and I've said like, you know, colonizer a few times. I mean, it's specifically his book about like this, you know, manly man, like, you know, coming to a new world and there's these kind of effeminate aliens there and he's going to fucking kill them all so he can take the resources. You know, it's very much a story about colonialism and masculinity and how those like these stories of mm. like, you know, like masculine stories of adventure and masculine stories of exploration are tied up with like European colonialism and eventually like American imperialism. Um and, you know, but it, it it's really interesting because it's it's another book where it like takes that man and he is the main viewpoint character for a good chunk of that novel. But he's also like very clearly the like bad guy in the novel. And I think I like I think of that book when I think of like science fiction books about masculinity and really trying to grapple with masculinity. I think that's one of the first ones I can think of. You know, there are plenty of like you know, kind of like feminist books from the 60s that are about masculinity, but also feminism and kind of like a lot of this different stuff. But in terms of books that are just about the like masculinity portion of that, that that to me really comes to mind. It's a really amazing book, too. Um, we talk. It, I mean, there's so much to go. Yeah, to yeah. We, we talk about <laughs> Ursula so Guin a lot because she's one of the absolute giants of of like 20th century literature as far as I'm concerned, but especially, oh, yeah, she's of, the best. especially of, of the kind of books that we talk about on this podcast. Right. And actually really, this is kind of interesting. So, um, Tin House Press, which is the, you know, press that published Romy Futch, um, was in Portland it, or it is in Portland. Like it's, it's centered out of Portland and, um, that's where Ursula K. Le Guin like lived most of her life and especially the later part of her life. And, um, they published a lot of her short fiction. And in fact, her like very last cool piece of short fiction was just published in their magazine, like a, like a week or two ago. That's cool. Um, so in like the most recent issue of their magazine, they have like the last piece of short fiction that they're publishing from her that they had like, you know, had in had, while well, she was still alive, like had, had gotten submitted from her. So, you know, I think that like, that's a, I, I like before I, like I knew I wanted to talk about the word for world is forest before I even realized that like, Oh, Julia Elliott and Le Guin were actually like published by the same publishing house that really like cared about this kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, to talk about that publishing house, you know, we've talked a little bit about the sort of like, like the science fictional versus literary fictional kind of elements of this. And I think another interesting thing for me is that the, the, these magazines, the tin, the tin house magazines have a lot of poetry in them as well. 
um, including the, I, I was looking at one of them and it's like some poets that I, I know, and I don't know a lot about modern poetry. Um, but you know, and it's like, okay, I, I feel like there's very much this thing with like poetry and wordplay and the like way that this novel is written and like pay pay attention to that as you read it, the ways in which like Romy futches, cause it's all from his perspective and like though his voice changes dramatically multiple times throughout the novel and it's really worth paying attention to the way his voice changes because it, you know, it's like a very good reflection of the way like his mental state is changing. Mm. Another author, um, who's, uh, a little bit after, well, not after Le Guin contemporaneous with Le Guin, but a lot of her more famous work, uh, came out after Word for Wilder's Forest and after Anna Kavan and uh, after um, Daphne du Maurier is James Tiptree Jr., the pen name of Alice Bradley Sheldon. Um, mm-hmm. well, isn't she writing in the 60s and 70s too? Yeah, yeah. That's but I, but I, I actually just I just looked at, uh, you know, the stories in her Smoke Rose Up Forever are mostly from the 70s, uh, which, um, uh, okay. which I didn't know, but uh, apparently that's the case. So... Um, she, she's another really important author in the, and she was certainly also writing in, in, in the, in the fifties and sixties, but she's another really important writer in the, in like new wave science fiction. Um, because she's somebody not so much, you know, um, you know, she's not always directly confronting in the same way that Le Guin confronts, uh, some of the tropes of classic sci-fi, but she subverts them all the time in really powerful ways. Um, and there's, she's, she's a, a, an author of short stories mainly. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's so many that I could talk about, but, um, and actually I don't have one in particular that I <laughs> was thinking of already, <laughs> but I do want to talk about her in particular. Well, what, what, so I've never read any of James Tiptree Jr. or Alice Sheldon. So what, what, you know, what in particular about her do you think kind of like mirrors Romy Fletcher's, you know? There's Romy Futch indebted to. Yeah. Um, so the thing the thing that uh, Romy Futch does really effectively is it just is science fiction. It, it's like it doesn't have to directly confront stuff. It simply tells a story mm-hmm. that it wants to tell. It doesn't tell you what issues that it wants you to think about. It just tells you the story. And it knows you'll think about those issues because it has this kind of particular confidence in the trap that it's laying out, um, so to speak. That's mm-hmm. the way that James Tiptree writes, or the way that Alice Sheldon writes. Um, uh, Alice Sheldon, I mean, I, I don't even know which is better to refer to her as. Um, a lot of people know her as James Tiptree, um, so I suppose I'll use that. But this is Al- the person also known as uh, Alice Sheldon or Alice Bradley Sheldon. <laughs> um, <laughs> James James Tiptree writes in a way that is... Um, it reminds me most of like Ray Bradbury. If you've never read James Tiptree, you know, Ray Bradbury is a little bit like that, I guess. Um, mm. it, it, the, telling stories that have strong emotional and mythological connections, um, but that are, are also clearly like sort of hard SF. Um, right. And they make you think about uh, the conventions of hard SF in a way that like Ray, Brad, Ray Bradbury actually does this too. Like he'll, he'll tell the story and it'll be like, like in, in particular though, um, uh, I don't remember the name of the story, but it's the story where all of the black people in a southern town leave to go to Mars. Yeah, it's such a classic. It's um, it's uh, it's a story that you know, on, on some level, it's like oh, a bunch of people are going to go to colonize a new planet. That's like a super classic golden age sci fi thing. Um, but it's he, he's obviously you know doing something 
different with those tropes than people, you know, writing prior to him had typically done. Um, yeah. And that's how James Tiptree writes. She, you know, she tells stories about um, plagues decimating the earth or, you know, people having to deal with classic sci-fi problems, um, mm-hmm. uh, nuclear war, uh, you know, all kinds of classic sci-fi problems. But the story is told in such a way that makes it clear in the telling without actually stating this that the previous ways that this story had been told were totally insufficient you know we're gonna have a pov <laughs> character who's a woman that we're yeah. just gonna do that <laughs> or we're gonna we're gonna have a pov character who's a man who thinks about women in a way that's actually sophisticated <laughs> right right you know <laughs> yeah and that's what romy fudge does i mean it's you know the, the content is sort of largely different i think i i have not personally read a James Tipperary story that dealt with um, drugs or mind enhancement in exactly this way, but there may well be one that I haven't read, but mm. I think the way that she writes is is similar. That's awesome. In that conceptual way. Yeah. So I think the only other um, books that I would maybe call out as being similar um, would be Soft Apocalypse by Will McIntosh, which is... I think the way in which it's similar is it's also about a shitty future. <laughs> um, and I think is, is one of these other books that for me does a really good job with this like idea of like the shitty future. Um, and then the, for me, the other is California by Adon Lapuki. Um, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I actually have no idea how to pronounce her last name, but um, California is a book about like a, you know, like also like a shit, a future so shitty. It's like straight up post-apocalyptic. Um, and it's like a husband and wife duo living in like, you know, kind of out in the woods and trying to like fend for themselves and then stuff happens. It's, you know, spoilers or whatever. So I won't get too into it. But, um, that to me is another really good book about masculinity written, by a woman from the viewpoint of a man that like it gets men and gets masculinity and like does a lot of the same kind of things, but with a very different like tone, it's a much more, um, much less gonzo, much less over the top, much more kind of like quiet and scary and, um, you know, kind of like realist fiction instead of surrealist fiction. Nice. Yeah. Sounds great. So, I don't know. I think that's about it for me for the pre-read here. Yeah, I mean, as usual, we could probably go on for a I mean, literal yeah. eternity, but we should <laughs> we should cut it somewhere. We shouldn't. So right. maybe there's maybe there's just a couple of things that we haven't talked about in depth that people could also keep in mind um, while they're reading. Yeah. Um, I know that one that we've touched on, kind of, uh, you know, is is um, class and education so to speak. Yeah. And I think in particular, like, you know, thinking about, and this is something that I mostly just want to talk about in the post read when I can talk about specifics, but, you know, thinking about the way in which education is a barrier and a gateway between classes in the United States, as well as that, like, you know, the way in which Romy's mind enhancements are sort of like this barrier made literalized in a very science fictional way. Um, and then the other thing that you and I had talked about, too, is is sort of like, you know, especially coming off of reading an Afrofuturist work, like how does this book handle race and what are the like both the good and the bad ways in which it like deals with race? Because I think mm-hmm. it's I think that's one place where it's actually imperfect. Yeah, um, especially when, and, when you think about the relationship that 
this book has with Faulkner and Southern Gothic. I mean, it's right. there's some clear, you know, resonances. Right, right. And to be clear, I think in saying it's imperfect is not to say that it's like bad necessarily. Um, but I think, you know, especially after reading like, you know, a book about black people written by a black person, reading a book about white people written by a white person and like, but set in the South is kind of, it's kind of interesting and it's, it's worth kind of keeping that stuff in mind while, while you read it. Sounds good. Cool. Well, um, oh yeah. I was just (laughs) going to say, so should people read this book? Who would like it? Yeah, I I think people should read it. I clearly because I recommended it to you and for the <laughs> podcast. Um, and I've I've actually I've recommended it to a lot of friends. And one of the interesting things I found is that a lot of different types of people like this book. Um, it's a book that I think is not very well known. I mean, I know that it wasn't you know it's it hasn't won any awards and especially any science fiction awards or anything like that. Um, but I think it's very good. I think that it is a book that has like a really a lot of different like if you like pretty much anything that we've talked about from Hunter S. Thompson to like Adon Lapuki to Philip you know, K. Dick, a scanner darkly, something like that. Right. To Ursula Kayla Gwynn to just like, you know, Eve Ewing and like modern poetry. Like you if you like any of that stuff, like you'll find something to enjoy in this book. Um, or even if you just like hunting and fishing and think that stuff's cool, you might also still just enjoy the fuck out of this book because it's really fucking enjoyable. <laughs> There's some cool hunting and fishing scenes. Yeah. Um, and then I think, um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, like I said, I've, I've recommended this book to a lot of friends. I think I'm going to have a, a friend of mine who's also read the book and, uh, you know, is, was like an English major in college and stuff on to talk about it with us. Um, and the post reads, that should be fun because she'll, she'll have a different perspective than I think either of us will. And I know she really liked it. Um, I, 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 you know, pretty much like thrusted it upon her a couple of years ago and like, you know, she read it, it was like, oh my God, thank you for it. And so I think that that's, you know, I, I've never recommended this book to someone who didn't like it, and so I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. So far, awesome, awesome, yeah, love it. I know there are people who don't like it. It only has like a you know four stars on Goodreads, so clearly some people didn't like it. But you know, we don't need to talk about them. Yeah, they're idiots and they don't listen to this podcast. No, no, they're sorry, they're sorry if they're great. <laughs> they're great, and they probably do need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> and their their perspective is valid too, I guess, or something. <laughs> um cool well i think that's it for us this episode right i think so looking forward to finishing the book yeah definitely so um you know last month i the you know our our twitter is spectologypod on twitter.com uh and last month i tweeted a bunch of afrofuturist stuff like for the month of june since we were reading binti uh for the month of july i think i'm just gonna tweet pictures of dead animals how does that sound dope <laughs> i might not no. i might not check. <laughs> i'm not going to do that i promise i'm not going to do that um no for the for the you know our our i'll be probably having a little bit more of a quotidian twitter feed this month um i'll try to think of some sort of like thematically relevant stuff to post um 
yeah and you know our like i said our twitter is spectology pod at spectology pod on twitter our email is spectology pod at gmail.com and you know we hope people will read the book and enjoy it um i know one of our listeners um shout out to kevin has read it before and really liked it and actually was the one who recommended the um tin house magazine to me and said that uh eight or said that julia had recently published something in that and in fact so apparently in the candy issue of the tin house magazine i haven't picked it up and read it yet but um she wrote another short story in that and he said it was one of his favorite short stories <laughs> like period i was the sense i got so you know cool i might be picking that up and reading it too awesome. and um yeah, and you know, our as usual, the music is by WJ on SoundCloud. Our art is by Noah Bradley at noahbradley.com for his prints and whatnot. Um, yeah, and we're we're Adrian and Matt. We are. I don't know. Signing off. Doot 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 doot. Peace out. <laughs>